Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Good morning. How are we this morning? That's fantastic. Thank you, Andy. You, I'll be seeing you later. Um, this morning, we, we're coming back off the back of Easter. And um, Easter is such a wonderful time of the year. I think that often um, in the weeks leading up to Easter, we become super focused on, on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus as Easter is about. And I think that's awesome that we, we take the time to be really intentional with, with reading through you know, the narratives that were presented by the Gospels about what, what happens and what, um, well, what's to come as well. And I think that, you know, we really take the time to apply it to ourselves and really allow the weight of the words and the actions of Jesus to, to take root. You know, we, we allow the weight to take hold. And I think that's a fantastic thing. You know, we go to church more times than we often would. And it's awesome. It's great. But I think what I want to remind you just straight away that, um, you know, what, what we do in that time isn't just reserved for a long weekend once a year. It's really important that we remember that every day. And that is the pinnacle of our faith and that that action is something that we need to live in and live out of every single day. So I want to encourage you to do that. This morning, what I want to do as we wrap up this series is I want to talk about what happens after the resurrection. So I'm going to unpack all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and look at what happens um, between Jesus resurrecting and his final time on earth and kind of look at the different perspectives and what the um, disciples see and what they kind of point out. Because it's really important to actually look at what Jesus says and we'll look at how he finishes and what he leaves us with. So this morning, I actually want to encourage us to be a little bit uncomfortable. To actually allow ourselves to look at what we maybe don't want to look at and maybe hear what we don't want to hear. Because we can actually be super intentional in what we hear and we can be super intentional in what we see. And uh, my housemate Isaac... Um, knew this very well. Um, he, so we lived together, it was myself and him and two others um, at El Shaddai when we worked there. And um, I, my bedroom was kind of off to the back of the house. And um, in, in the morning time, we'd often see each other because we're all getting ready for the same job at the same time. And um, I just went and had my shower, came back and... Um, went to put some undies on. I was, you know, I think everyone has those last two pairs where they're like a couple holes in them, not much elastic. Maybe that's just me. But um, I was like, I'm on canoeing. I probably shouldn't be wearing them canoeing. I'm not going to be the most comfortable. I knew my clothes were hanging out um, just out in the lounge room. So I cracked the door, listened. Okay, no one's there. I walked out. And then just as I walk out, Isaac walks around the corner. So naturally I stopped like this. And I hold eye contact with him, and he's, well, he's walked around the corner, so he's done this. <laughs> and we've locked eyes, and in my head, I was saying, don't you dare look down. <laughs> and I think in his head, he was saying, don't you dare look down. And we locked eyes, and he slowly backed up. I think we gave each other a little nod, and uh, just back in, and um, all's, all's well. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. So he was super intentional in making sure that he didn't want to see something that made him uncomfortable, which I'm sure we're both very grateful of. But this morning, I actually want to encourage you to, as I'm speaking about what was seen and what was heard, 
to encourage you to allow yourself to apply this. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable, and it might stir something within you that has stirred before, but I want to encourage you to allow the weight of the words to actually wash over you and really accept it and apply it. Can we do that this morning? Excellent. So first of all, we're going to look at the end of Jesus' story according to uh, Matthew and Mark. So these are quite similar, so we're going to look at that um, kind of and see the response that we see and kind of what Jesus brings out of that. So not what Jesus brings out of it, what disciples bring out of that. Um, so Matthew ends with two paragraphs. Um, the first we see is 11 to 15, that'll be up on the screen. It says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now this story reads in exactly into what I was just saying. The Pharisees didn't want to hear what they just heard. The body's missing. They didn't want to see it. Okay, They didn't want anything to do with that. Okay, In the back of their minds, they were like, there were several prophecies about Jesus rising. And he said himself, Maybe they thought the disciples actually had taken him, but I think they knew what actually happened. And so they were so intentional in, they were like, okay, let's, um, let's bribe, let's deceive. And once again, we see them deceiving the authenticity of Jesus Christ. And really, even after the death of Jesus, the religious leaders still had to bribe and deceive to make sure that they got their way. You know, they, they didn't want to lose what they had. They had the respect um, and the... And, you know, the Jewish people held them in favor now that they'd removed this person who was claiming to be king. And just when they thought they were done with him, they, we see Jesus really was like, hmm, once again, you guys are looking a little bit silly. You know, if only they had paid attention to the numerous prophecies that they would have known and seen in the Old Testament and listened to what Jesus actually says, because he does say it a couple of times. And so you're moving on, the Gospel of Matthew, it ends with a famous um, passage of Scripture, and if you've been around church quite a bit, you'll know it, it's called the Great Commission. And this is Matthew 28, I'm going to go from 16 to 20. So it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is a passage that is both super encouraging, but it's also pretty confronting. You know, Jesus here gives the disciples a clear mission, and he says to them, this is what you need to do. And... Often we read in verse 17, it says, but some doubt, and we think, oh, Thomas added again. No, this is after um, that he, he was doubting. Up here, there was probably the 70 other disciples um, that don't have mentioned by name, and some of them were a bit mm, unsure. Um, but it is not limited to the disciples that were there, okay? We need to understand that this is still relevant for us. While there were still people who have not heard the gospel, the Great Commission is still valid, and is valid for every single person, okay? So until... Until everyone is saved, that Great Commission is still 
super valid for today, okay? That, is not, that was not just said to the disciples there, but that is for us today as well, and that needs to be understood. The Gospel of Mark ends in a similar way with, with a great commission. Um, and it's very similar, just has some slight differences. While the location um, and who was present was slightly different because people, you know, different um, interpretations um, often come across differently. But what was the same is that Jesus is clear that he does not want people to go out and live passively. Okay, that there is a mission, there is a call, there is a mandate that if you're a follower of Christ, that you need to live out. Though it's important often with, with our Bible and all the time that when we read a passage, we can't just read that in isolation. Okay, there's other context, there's other things we need to know. Okay, there's other things that Jesus said to them, which applies to what he's talking about here. Okay, we're going to get through that. We're going to get to that. So it's really important that the Great Commission cannot just be read in isolation. Now I want to take a bit of time to look at the end of um, Jesus' story according to John. Okay, so in this we see really a significant encounter between Jesus and Peter. Right, and it's quite cool. I want to take a bit of time to break that down. So seven, seven of the disciples were all there having breakfast. Um, and a bit of the context of the story, they weren't sure what to do, so they went fishing, okay, as part of their trade, or whether they were just like, yeah, let's go fishing. John 21, 15 to 19, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter had just recently denied Jesus three times as Jesus told him he would, which he was like, no, but he did. And Peter would have been feeling all kinds of guilt and anxiety, but also mixed with this joy and awe at sitting there with his Saviour. And it would have been quite a mix of emotions that he would have been going through. And um, we really see this interesting dialogue, and I want to I I break it down, okay, because there's quite a bit going on. So Jesus signals Peter out in front of everyone, okay? They're sitting around, and Peter's thinking, oh, no, what is he knows what I've done, okay. And he asks him, do you love me more than these? Now, the word, when he says these, he's referring to three different things. He's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? He's asking, do you love me more than you love these disciples? And he's asking, do you love me more than you love these fish? Or than fishing in, in general, you know, your original profession, do you love that more than you love me? And Peter replies with, yes, you know I love you. And he's probably thinking, he knows everything. Why, is, why does he need to ask me? Okay, Why is he calling me out in front of everyone? This is embarrassing. Okay, Jesus responds with, then feed my lambs. Which is pretty awesome. You know, Jesus is telling Peter here that he will be, he'll be tending to his lambs. Lambs signifying new believers. He's telling Peter, you're going to play a role in, in helping new believers come to the faith. The same thing's repeated. We see Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? You know I love you. Then tend my sheep. Jesus, again, he also commissions Peter his, a second time here, and he says, tend my sheep. So he's telling him he's more mature believers. 
Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Here it says Peter was grieved. And I think there's two reasons here that we see that Peter says he's grieved. I think first of all, is because he's being asked a third time if he loves him. And if you have to be asked or told something three times, you're going to feel a little bit silly. My auntie used to say, first time funny, second time not, third time smack. Okay? <laughs> if, you, if you're getting told something three times, it's like, yes, I've, I've answered. Okay, why are we going through this? Not that I ever got any smacks. I was a golden child. But it's, you'd, you'd be feeling silly. It'd be like... <laughs> If Josh had asked me th- saying three times, and I'm like, yes, I've given you the answer. Why do you keep asking me? Like, okay, like you got to understand that. It would feel weird. It would be like, why am I getting asked three times? Okay. The second reason is that Peter had recently denied Jesus three times. So that Peter would be thinking, oh, I'm getting told off. Okay, I denied him three times after telling him I love him three times. So it's embarrassing. It would be, it'd be highly uncomfortable for Peter, and I don't think he'd be enjoying that encounter at all. But there's something else that we need to understand that's going on here, okay? The, the New Testament was recorded primarily in Greek, and through translating, we lose some of the original intent and some of the original meaning. Um, and the word love in the Greek in, is a primary example of this. So there are four words for love in the Greek language. In English, there is one, okay? So there's a very limited use of that. Uh, I'll give you an example. I love my girlfriend, Nakia. I also love my 2021 Scott Spark 960 mountain bike with dual suspension, 130 mil travel in the back, 120 mil in the back, 29 inch wheels. You see what I mean? How that word's limited? Okay. So we need to understand the Greek. There's a lot going on here. There's four words for love in Greek. The first one is storge. Okay. And this is a familial love. This is the love you have between your sister, your mum and your dad, your brother. Okay. There is philia or philios, and it's the love you have for your friends. It's a strong love, a strong bond, but it's dispassionate in nature. Okay? We have eros, which is a romantic love, which is the love you have and share with a significant other, only after marriage, though. Front two rows. And agape, which we have, is an unconditional love, and this is the love that we see that God has for us. So when we reread this passage understanding that there's different levels of love and words for love the first time jesus asked peter if he loves him he's not he's not he's actually saying do you agape me to which peter replies you know i philios you and but the third time jesus asked him he says do you philios me and peter says you know i philios you Peter feels like he can't answer Jesus with what he wants. And what was Jesus' response? Tend my lambs. Sorry, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Okay, Jesus wants to meet you where you are at. Okay, for Peter, he didn't have this giant checklist where he had to be here before. This is probably the most honest we see Peter be a lot of the time. He's actually answering honestly. Okay, when you see him, when he asks you to deny him, no, I won't deny him. Though maybe he knows deep down that he will. He's being honest here. You know, I philios you. I, I feel like I can't love you the way you love me, which is so key. I think that's something that we often feel. But Jesus is showing here that, Peter, I just want to meet you where you're at. I have a plan for you, and I'm willing to meet you where you're at. As long as you're willing to come on the journey with me and correct things as you go, I don't need you to be at this lofty standard. I just need you to be willing 
and they, yeah. So it's really important we understand that. All right. So we, we see here there's this theme of re-acceptance. Peter feels like, okay, I'm, I'm accepted again. He would be feeling rubbish, but we see him yeah, come through this. Through this dialogue, he's, he would be feeling this really feeling of, of re-acceptance. Um, we're now going to look at the end of Jesus' story according to Luke. Um, so we see that Jesus is, is eating with his disciples. Um, after he had appeared, um, Luke wasn't invited fishing because he was a doctor. Doctors don't go fishing back then, I guess. In Luke 24, 44 to 49, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power on high. Now we see similarities here between Matthew and Mark, and this. there's still this sense of commissioning. However, there's a, there's a different emphasis, and this is important. You know, there's still the essence that they were witnesses of what happened, and that they were to go out and witness um, to others of, of what they'd seen. Um, however, the disciples are instructed to wait until they have received power from on high. And there was a promise of something to come. You know, they were promised that they would have a helper, an advocate. So from the breaking down of these, of these four Gospels, I believe that we see three clear responses. Okay? From Matthew and Mark, we see that they just want to go. Okay, they write about, you know, Jesus, the last thing he said, he told them to go. Okay, Jesus returns to heaven and they are left with what they're instructed to do. From the unpacking and the understanding of John, we see that there's this idea of re-acceptance. Okay, Peter knows he stuffed up. And what's Jesus' response? To meet him where he was at and still, um, and still commission him. The third we see is the idea of wait. Luke highlighted the importance that they, when to receive from on high, and that he didn't want to go anywhere until he did. And it's understand that we, it's important to see that these three all work in unity and have a tension with each other. And as I talk through more in depth about these three, what I really want you to do is here's where I want you to actually allow these to apply to you. You might feel like you're in a season of you need to go. You might feel like you need to, in a season of where you need to feel the re-acceptance of Jesus. You might feel like there's something you need to wait for. Okay, and I'm going to talk through all these three, and I want you to apply um, each or each of them, and then feel really where you're at. All right. So the first is go, and this is a really important part of being a Christ follower. Okay, we are not called to sit and be idle. Okay, we are called to reach the world, our immediate world, and also um, the nations as well. And that's one thing that I really love and value about this church is that we are so big on it on going to our immediate world with um, targeted programs that from ages, of, from babies up to grandparents. But we also understand the importance of going out to nations as well, nations that need it. That's why we have emphasis on Cambodia and um, partner with Compassion, the Philippines. It's really important. And some of you may not feel like you can. And some of you may need to pay more attention to the next things I'm going to say. But some of you are feeling red hot, ready to go. And you're, un- but you're unsure of what to do. 
And being unsure is okay, but not doing anything about it kind of isn't. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, they didn't sit down and then work out, okay, John, you're on worship. Peter, I want you to do chairs. Matthew, tax collector, tithes and offering. Perfect. All right, no, they, they went out knowing they had the full authority and power from on high, and they went out and they, and they witnessed and they spoke what they knew they needed to speak. And while structure is important, I don't think we should be waiting around until the perfect opportunity is there or wait until everything aligns, okay? Sometimes we just need to go. And there's some of you who are sitting here and you know that there's stuff you need to do. There's no, you know, that there's dreams and visions within you. You know, there's people you need to talk to. There's family members you need to invite. There's people at your workplace you need to tell about Jesus. And it's important that you actually act on that. We can't just wait until the perfect opportunity comes, but we actually need to grab that opportunity. We need to make the opportunity, okay? I encourage you not to pray, Jesus, I pray that you give me an opportunity. Jesus, I pray that I take the opportunity that's right there in front of me, okay? It's a big difference in how you pray and approach that. And the reality is, if you're willing to be uncomfortable, it can result in someone's eternal comfort if you're willing to do that and step out in that. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If we know that the grace of God is extended to us, then we know that the grace of God is extended to all. And it's really important we have something to do about that. The second thing I want to talk about is the idea of re-acceptance. And this is the response that we see really from, from John and from Peter's conversation. You know, Peter was told that he would betray Jesus and he denied it. And he said, no way, the very idea of it was appalling to him. But he did, blatantly, three times. And we've all done things that we're ashamed of and regret. And that's part of being a human and part of living on earth. And I think there's some things that we think are actually stopping us from being accepted by Jesus. But the reality is that Jesus showed through this conversation with Peter that he wants to meet you where you are at. Peter knew he couldn't honestly tell Jesus, I agape you. So that was Jesus' response, feed my sheep. Okay. You just need to have the willingness. And you could easily think of a hundred reasons that Jesus couldn't accept you. And you could easily think of a hundred reasons that Jesus wouldn't use you for this great commission. But he's the truth into some of those lies. Weakness. You might think you're too weak. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You might think you're unworthy. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fear, Joshua 1, nine. have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You might feel alone. Psalm 23.8 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God wants to meet you where you are. And I know fully well what this is like. Through school, I would say I'm a Christian, but there's people here who went to school with me. who would be like, no, he wasn't. And that's fair. I could act like I was, okay? And it wasn't that hard to do, if I'm honest. 
and I could pretend that I was a Christian and I could make it look like my life's good, but I knew that I wasn't following him. And I was actually okay with that, if I'm honest. And I, this continued until one year after school. And I remember one night I prayed what I would honestly say was the first genuine prayer that I'd prayed in two years. And I said, God, what do you want for me for this year? And I don't even really know what prompted me to pray it, but I, I felt like all I can describe was like a physical slap. And I sat up out of bed, I was like, what the heck was that? And I felt God so clearly say to me, and I'll never remember this, he said, Mitchell, you're angry and you're bitter that you're on the outer, but you're the one who's put yourself there. Get back involved and get involved in youth again. And I was full of pride. I thought, how the heck am I going to get involved in youth again? I'm not going to go and ask. But um, God actually spoke to Jake that week as well. And Jake felt like he should ask him to join the team. And he was probably like, well, there's probably no point in asking him because he's a bit of a jerk. But Jake did. And I think me saying yes surprised each other just as much as each other. And, and from then on, I just, and I just want to say that because God met me where I was at. And he wants to do the same for you. There's actually nothing that you can imagine in your mind that, wants, that stops that from happening. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, Jesus wants to meet you where you are at. He doesn't have this lofty standard. It's not like you need to attend church four weeks in a row. Okay, I've got my month in. Great. Now maybe I can do something. No, Jesus wants to accept you. Jesus has accepted you, and he wants you to feel that acceptance this morning and every single day. The third thing we get out of this is wait. Now this is the understanding that, that Luke had an emphasis on wait. Now all four of the Gospels mentioned within the first three chapters that the Holy Spirit would be upon them, okay? That was a promise right from the early days of Jesus that he, he said that you, you will have the Holy Spirit, okay? At the, at the time, they didn't really necessarily know what that meant or what that looked like. Um, so Luke was the only one who actually had an emphasis on, at the end of this, to, to wait. And here's why I think it is. Matthew was a tax collector and the Gospel of Mark um, is actually Mark scribing for Peter, so it's Peter's um, um, perspective. And Peter was a fisherman, okay? If you're a tax collector, you go collect taxes. If you're a fisherman, you go and you fish. Luke was a doctor, okay? He understood that a doctor can't just be a doctor without intensive training in medicine. I think Luke also understood that Christian witness was ineffective without the Holy Spirit. And I think that is key for us to understand this morning. Now, the good thing about the idea of waiting for the Spirit is that that's actually an outdated concept. You see, when the Holy Spirit was poured out um, for those in the upper room in Acts 2, this became something that was actually available for all. And the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the Great Commission because we need the Spirit to go. But we also need the Spirit as part of the reacceptance process. Okay, because we're accepted by affirming, the Holy Spirit affirms us as God's children by living within us. And it's actually a sign of our acceptance. So it's important that we understand this, but there's no need for waiting. And what I want to do this morning is I actually want to give a chance for all of us to respond, if you'd like, to these three things. This is go, re-acceptance and wait. And can we stand, please, in this place this morning? 
Some of you are feeling like you need to go, but you don't know how, and you feel like you can't. I want to encourage you this morning that you can. You can go, and you're called to go. And I think some of you will have excuses in the way, um, and that's okay. But like I said before, being unsure about it is okay, but not doing something about it is not. And so this morning, if you feel like go is something you need to do, if you feel like there's something, there's someone that you need to talk to, there's something that you need to do, there's a dream within you that you need to act upon, I want us to respond this morning. So if you feel like, if this is resonating with you, this idea of go, I want you to put your hand up. I want you to receive, and I want you to actually understand that there's an importance in going. If you feel like there's someone you need to talk to, that might be might be urging on you right now, I need to talk to them. And if you want to, I want to pray for you that you have the courage to do so and knowing that you have permission to do so and that you're also called to do so. So dear Lord Jesus, I just pray for these people that have put their hands up. Thank, Father, thank you for their faithful response. And Lord Jesus, I pray that they can go, Lord, knowing that they are called to go, Lord, knowing that they can go, Lord, that they are equipped to go, and Lord, that it is an important part of being a Christian. And some of us might not have gone before. Some of us might have gone a long time ago, but feel like they can't go at the moment. But Father, I just pray that if we are willing, Lord, that I believe that you open those doors. But Father, I pray that we actually take the steps to open the doors ourselves. Lord, that we don't sit passively and idly, but Lord, we see the need and Lord, we act to meet that need. So Father, I pray for these people who are willing to accept this call and accept to go. The second group of people I want to pray for is those who feel like, there is something in the way of them being accepted by Jesus. And I'll tell you right now that this is a lie and this is not a feeling that God wants you to have, but it is a feeling that we all have at, at stages, so don't feel alone in this, please. But understand that everybody goes through this. But if you feel like this morning that you are not accepted, that there's things that are stopping you from Jesus accepting you, I don't put your hand up and I want to pray for you as well. Awesome, thank you. You might feel like you're too small. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like I'm too weak for Jesus to use me or for Jesus to accept me. But Lord, I just pray right now for those people. Lord Jesus, I just pray that they feel your loving acceptance of them. Lord, it might be something they haven't felt before. Lord, it might be something they've felt a long time ago, but they've let fear or other things get in the way. And Father, I just pray for them. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you meet them where they are at today. Lord, just as you met me where I was at, and I've been free ever since, Lord Father, I just pray that you meet people where they are at. Lord, they understand that your acceptance is for them. Lord, that it is a, it is a personal acceptance. And Lord, that it is important that we understand that you are you have accepted us. And then through that, your, through your death on the cross and through your resurrection, that there's actually nothing that can get in the way of that acceptance. So Father, I pray for those people and I thank you for them. And the third, Lord, is the people that feel like they have to wait for something to happen. They have to wait for the Holy Spirit to be within them. And that might be something that I've never felt before or it might be something that they were passionate about a long time ago, but it's, it's faded. And Father, I pray that if you are feeling like that this morning, Lord, I, I, I pray that this morning, yeah, if you are feeling like that, Lord, that you will put your hand up. And you will say, I can't do this without this power from on high. I can't do this if I'm not clothed with the Holy Spirit. And I pray and I want this within me. 
Lord Jesus, I just pray for those people right now. Father, I just pray that your spirit will be with them. Lord, if they haven't felt your presence before, Lord, that they will feel it now. Lord, if they haven't felt it for a long time, Lord, that you will be so clear to them. Lord, you will speak to them. It might be a physical thing like with me or it might be a quiet whisper. Father, I just pray that every single person in this room will be open and attentive to you. Lord, to your whisper, to your words, to your guiding. And Lord, that we understand that there is a commission for us. Lord, there is a mandate. There is a need for us to go. Lord, there is a need for us to talk to people and to spread your gospel. And Father, I pray, thank you for Easter. And Lord, thank you for the time that it is. But Father, I pray that we can act knowing what you've done for us. Lord, that we can go out with a new confidence, knowing that we are clothed from on high, knowing that your Holy Spirit was within us, knowing that you will meet us where we're at so that we can go out and proclaim your name. Father, I pray for a new confidence within every single person in this room. Lord Jesus, I pray that we know that we are equipped. Lord, that we, we know that we are clothed. We know that you are on our side. And Father, I just pray for those, yeah, Lord, just Spirit, speak to them. Lord, I pray that they feel your presence. And I encourage you this morning as well, if this is something that you feel like you need to speak to someone about, please do that. We are created to be in community with one another. And so we don't have to journey these things alone. So I just encourage you to talk to someone about this. Be accountable with other people. And um, if you need if something you need prayer for at the end as well, please do that. And uh, we're going to worship now, but I pray and I encourage you that you apply what has been said this morning, Lord, that, uh, that, we, can, that we can really take on the words that I believe God has given me and we can go out feeling different, knowing that we are fully equipped. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.